All right, so this idea of, of wisdom and walking with the Lord being a path, being a lifelong journey, not just something we get quick fixes, we get quick wisdom, but something that, that takes a, a good bit of time. We find that in verse 6 with this idea of paths. And path is this, this theme in the Old Testament uh, and then moving into the New Testament as well, that it's, it's the way that we live life. We walk on it, and it takes a lifetime. The path is really the path of our life and the direction that it goes. So it's not instantaneous things. It is uh, a long walking, faithful obedience, faithful relationship with the Lord. And we sometimes lose sight of that. We want changes quickly. We want things. And we live in a culture where, where things do come quickly. And we, we, have, you know, we love Amazon Prime and getting things in a day or two, right? Like, uh, we, we like getting things very fast. And we've kind of gotten used to that, so we think that it applies in, in all areas of our lives. But that's not the reality of the way the world works and the way that our growth works. That it takes place in this path that is long life. Verse 1 talks about the length of days and years of life and the peace that comes in the midst of that. So for a number of reasons over the last really number of weeks, I've had opportunity to reflect on my children and relationship to them. And, and one reason is just yesterday we dropped our son off, our second oldest, at school for the first time. So he's a freshman, and so we did the six-and-a-half, seven-hour drive and spent a couple of days down there and dropped him off. And then our oldest will go back. They're going to be at the same school. And, uh, and that gives, you know, opportunity for reflection. Uh, the same thing happened uh, just being on sabbatical and being together as a family, having some really unique opportunities and reflecting on our kids and their growth over the years. And I just think back and I remember what they were like last week and how different they were. No, no, not, not really last week, you know. Wait, last month? No, probably can't tell a lot. Even a year, last year, maybe some differences, but very similar, right? You start to think, though, two, three, four, five years, ten years ago, and you see the change. Our kids are, are very different. And this is the way that life happens, right? It happens over, over a long period of time. Change comes over a long period of time. And, and th that, that's really so much of life. I also, uh, this has been now a few years, but I found a video from when I was in doing college ministry. Steph and I were recently married at that point. I grew up in the South. I still have some of the, the Southern accent. It's not gone altogether. But man, it was thick on that, on that video. And I was surprised myself because I don't have a lot of video of me speaking, talking, period, uh, growing up. And so it was a little bit of a surprise to me. And I, I know friends who can turn accents on and off. But for me, it was a very gradual, over time, living outside of the South, that, that my accent changed. And even if you could pick up parts now, it was very different then. Uh, for sure. But that's, that's all of life, right? And so we find ourselves seeking wisdom, seeking the skill, seeking the opportunity to be skilled in the art of godly living or godly relationships. And I think it's helpful for us to remember it takes time. It's, this, it's a lifetime opportunity, a lifetime goal. And so we should be patient with ourselves and with one another. Uh, and, and we should just do that faithful work, a, a, a long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson says. So as we think about this reality, this path that we walk, we recognize that it is founded 
in relationship with the Lord. We're going to see how other relationships are affected by wisdom or skill in the art of godly living. But, but the foundational one is relationship with the Lord. Our three points this morning from this passage are the path is informed by his love, his commandments, and his promises. His love his commandments, and his promises. Let me, let me pray and we'll dive in. Lord, we want wisdom. And if we really know ourselves or have had any experience in this life, then we know we need it. We are desperate for your wisdom, wisdom from the creator. And we thank you that you promise us that as the creator, you want us to flourish and you want us to have it. You want us to grow in the skill, to be skilled in the art of godly living. We pray that you would do that. Even this morning, change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that we see is his love for us. I think it's helpful to note the fact that the singular is what is happening here. That is, that is this, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon here, this wise teacher, is teaching, in this case, his son. He, he is applying this. This is now applicable to all of us, to men, women, to all of us who follow after Jesus and want to walk with him, we, we are applying this, but it's written in the singular, right? So in the singular, he is addressing the son. He's, he's calling to wisdom. I, I note that because I, I more often note that the Southern would actually help us here, the y'all, most, most use in the Bible are plural. And, and we live in this incredibly individualistic culture and society, and so we need that Oh, this is talking to the people of God, that we exist corporately, right? So that's most of the time what I'm talking about. But I think it's also helpful to note that he absolutely addresses us as individuals, and that's happening here. There's even a a little bit of a contrast as there's a parallel in these first few verses to the first few verses of Deuteronomy 6. A lot of the same language, but in Deuteronomy 6, it's to the people of God. It's to Israel. It's to the followers of Yahweh at that time. Uh, here, it's in the singular. And I think that's helpful for us to know that God is dealing with us individually, that he cares about us individually, that he loves us in all of our particularities, that he cares about each of us as individuals. His love is for you, singular, and for me, and for the person sitting next to you. God loves us as individuals. And his love is central to this theme. So with that background, if he's speaking to us as individuals, we find this promise of his love. Yes, there are more promises to come, but here it's founded, and wisdom is founded in God's love for us. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the structure here, but there's a sense in which we have an introduction in verses 1 and 2, and then we have uh, the end of verses 11 and 12, and then in between are these commands and promises. The odd verse being the command, the even verse being the promise. Um, it, there's a, it's a little bit off on that, but that's about, uh, about accurate. And so in that structure, we see that the first command actually is let, verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. What, what does that mean? Let, let it not forsake you. There could be a bit of a dual meaning here, that we would step into loving others, that we would step into having faithfulness ourselves. But it's at least a dual meaning in that this phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness, uh, is, is language that is regularly used to apply to Yahweh, to the Lord. 
And so there's a call here actually to remember, to marinate in, to found yourself on the love that God has for us. Exodus 34. We're already in the Old Testament. We're going uh, even further back in the Old Testament to, to be reminded that the grace of God is full in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of the grace of God. It's not just God of wrath in the Old Testament, God of grace in the New. No, we, we actually find both in both. But here we find God's grace in Exodus 34, verse 6. We have Moses about to receive the Ten Commandments, and this is what the Lord says. The Lord passed before him. That is Yahweh here as well. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. Goes on to talk about judgment, but will by no means clear the guilty. There's this contrast, right? But it starts with saying, here's my, my primary posture toward my people is steadfast love and faithfulness. And so here, verse three, it's remember the love of God for you as individuals, for you and all of your particularity. God loves us. He cares for us. And the wisdom that we're called to is founded upon that relationship. We can see the same language in Psalm 85, verse 16. Psalm 85, 16 is the wrong reference. I wrote it down wrong. That is referenced in the, in the Psalms, I promise. There aren't there are 16 verses in, uh, in Psalm 85, so it's not there. Typo. It's true. I promise it's there in the book of Psalms. God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And we find it throughout Scripture. We even, we even see here as we get to verse 12, 11 and 12, they make us a little uncomfortable, right? Talking about discipline. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. The, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We're going to talk a little bit more about discipline in a moment. But, but hear what he says there at the end of verse 12. It's like a father who delights in his son. A father who delights in his son gives direction, correction, discipline, moves someone forward. This is, this is hope giving. This is life giving. This is a promise of God's love for us. I, I think that one of the things that we do is maybe if you've been in the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you maybe have bought into this, yes, God loves me. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're, you're not so sure. But if you are, one of the things that we often do with this idea is we think we have actually a pretty good idea. Maybe we've defined love correctly, that it's a commitment over the long term. And you know, we talk about in marriage, sometimes that means we, we move forward in hard times, right? Or in any relationship, really. Like, there are going to be hard times. And to love somebody is to be committed even when it's hard. And so we picture, yes, God loves me. And it's like, he's like, just, okay, I love him. I love her, but that's kind of how we picture God, right? I love him, but they just kind of get their stuff together. But what we actually find is something much different. We find a God who, so we might ask the question, does God like me? Does he, he loves me, but does he, does he like me? And we get that distinction in our, in our minds. I think what we find here is a God who likes us. This idea and this picture of a God who delights in us is not just one who's holding his nose at our sin and mess, right? 
He's one who actually created us in his image. So even before we get to the, the fall is real. Look, we, we confess our sin every week because we, we sit in the reality of our brokenness and our mess and the problems that we have. But that's not the thing that defines us. It is a part of who we are and God loves us and forgives us in the midst of it. But we actually start with the fact that God created us in his image and that here we see he delights in us. He likes us. He loves us in this really deep way that includes delighting in us. I, 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 I think um, just to rejoice in some of my reflection on my kids, one of the things that we did over sabbaticals, we had a trip together, 22 days, us together. I mean, even right in the middle of that, we ended up in, a, in a, this kind of lodge cabin thing in the middle of mountains in Romania and uh, we are in this room. It's just got like one bed, two beds, another bed, and a couch. And the fog was so thick. We're on the. We have a third-story balcony in this place, and for most of the day, with little breaks in between, you couldn't see the lake, just three stories below us. I mean, so we were just we couldn't really do anything. And so, meaning we were together a lot. And going into the trip, I was worried. Are we gonna? You know, we're going to come out the end of these three weeks and just be ready to get away from it. We really enjoyed each other. And I can say, praise God, that I delight in my kids. I loved being with them, all of them. Hogan, I would, uh, we would get up before most people wanted to leave the place and we'd go get coffee. And uh, Patton, we would share jokes uh, and talk about what was coming uh, with school and those kind of things. And Libby and I would... Uh, we would walk down to the river in Budapest and see things when everybody else wanted to go back. Uh, and I just, I delighted in each one of them. Uh, and it was this reminder of this is the way that God delights in me. That I, he has this joy in me. That's the promise we get throughout scripture. We find it in the New Testament as well when, when Jesus says, I know my sheep and I call them by name in John 10. He cares about us individually with all of our particularity. And, and wisdom, Christianity, following him, it all flows from that beautiful truth. And we have to marinate in it, sit in it, remind ourselves of it. We sing of it, we confess it every week. We, we hopefully hear it preached every single week. So this is his love for us that informs the rest. So we do get to these commands, right? There are these calls that he gives us. Again, the odd verses, the commands, the even verses, the promises. There, there are some expectations flowing from a relationship of love. This is, again, true of all relationships. That If we're in a relationship with somebody else that we love, that we delight in, there's some expectations, right? But these expectations are coming from the creator, from Yahweh, the Lord who made all things and he knows how things work. This idea of wisdom is a recognition that there is a created order to the world, not just the physical world that we affirm and say that the sciences are incredibly valuable and they help us understand what is true about this world. But there's a moral order and a spiritual order and that, that we make a mistake if we just separate those completely all the time. But... In that reality, God wants us to flourish. He wants what's best for us. And so he calls us, he gives us direction because he wants what is good for us. And, and remember, again, the first command that we find in verse 3 is to remember his love. To, to marinate in the truth of, of who he is. And there are all kinds of ways that we do that. This is 
God's revelation of himself to us. This love letter, many describe it as. This truth that he would have for us. And so we spend time studying it, learning it. Invitation to the discipleship class that we're going to be starting in a few weeks to learn more. Invitation to, to grab one of the daily prayer plans out there that just is really, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, if, if you don't have a, a habit of spending time in prayer and the word that you need to start with two hours a day in, in prayer and an hour in his word, that start with just a few minutes, right? The daily prayer plans are, are just a great exercise. Tells you, read this passage today, pray this prayer, be prompted to pray in other ways. You, you can do it quickly. You can spend more time in it. It's just a resource. But these are ways that we're reminded of God's love in ways that we bind it around our neck. Another encouragement would be to, to memorize scripture. This is a really powerful way to bind the love of God around our, our hearts. Just pick one verse. Pick verses five and six. Uh, to reminder to trust in the Lord. Pick uh, verse three. Reminded of his steadfast love and faithfulness. There are all kinds of places. If you, if you want suggestions of where to start with memorizing the word of God. But it could be just one line that, that sits with us and reminds us what it is to bind his love, his steadfast love and faithfulness around our necks to remember that truth. But there are other commands. There's uh, commands about the way that we spend money in verse 9 or humility versus pride in verse 7. We're, we're gonna, there are going to be some sermons to come on those themes and we'll dive into those things. Uh, but more central to this idea is trusting in the Lord with all our heart, leaning out on our own understandings. In all our ways, acknowledge him. In all of our ways, acknowledge him, and he will make our path straight. This idea that wisdom, because he is a God who loves us, he created the world, that it is something that affects all of life. And so Proverbs, in particular, talks about all these different aspects of life. That he cares about everything. It's not just this thing that happens on Sunday morning, or even Sunday morning in community group. It's, it's all of life is affected by walking with him. And so we walk... And this truth that he's the creator that created this world, that he knows how it was ordered. And that all of life would be affected by our walk with him. So I, I, I did not go to a Christian school. I think there's value in, uh, in, for different folks going to different schools. I'm super excited, though, about Patton and Hogan and where they are. And some of the things that they were talking about this, this last few days as we dropped him off. Um, and one of the things that the president talked about, he quoted from B.B. Warfield, who was speaking as a professor at Princeton in the early 20th century, uh, encouraging them to think about entering into to their studies and being religious, which religion can come, that word can come with a lot of baggage. We can think about it as godliness or following after Jesus. There's some really good things about the word religion, but that's the word that he uses here. And so he's talking to these new students, and this is what he says. He says, recruiting officers, that is military recruiting officers. Okay, again, make sure I was clear. Religion or godliness and study and how those things interact, right? Um, I think we could apply it to study, to work, to relationships. We could apply it to all kinds of things. He's specifically here applying it, applying it to studies. So his recruiting officers do not dispute whether it is better for soldiers to have a right leg or a left leg. Soldiers should have both legs. He's applying that then to religion or godliness and study. Of course, you do not think that religion and study are incompatible, but 
It is barely possible that there may be some among you who think of them too much apart, who are inclined to set their studies off to one side and their religious life off to the other, and to fancy that what is given to the one is taken from the other. No mistake could be more gross. Religion does not take a man away from his work. It sends him to his work with an added quality of devotion. So again, applying that to to work and to study particularly. But the truth is that both the theology that B.B. Warfield taught and the theology that we believe because it flows from the scripture is that, that this is true for every area of our life. That they work together, life and learning, that all that we do, we practice the truth. We, we seek to implement these commands, asking, what does it look like to follow Jesus in this area? And my encouragement is to, there, there are any number of areas that we could ask this question. How does following Jesus apply to my job? How does it apply to my schoolwork? How does it apply to my relationship with my classmate or my neighbor or my family? How does it apply to my Uh, sexual behavior or my neighborhood involvement or my family or my money or my words or my engagement with social media. I mean, anything that we do, we could be asking this question and should be asking the question and the encouragement is to do just that. To engage your friends, your community groups, your community group leaders, me, elders, women's leadership council, all these things. Talk uh, to us and engage in these questions. It's one of the things that we'll be doing in our discipleship class. To be clear, we're not going to cover all of that this fall. But we want to begin to talk about these things. The commands are actually for our good. They're they're directing us because this God loves us and he wants what is best for us. And then he gives these promises. These beautiful promises we find all throughout Proverbs. Some of them we find length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Favor and good success in the sight of God and man. He will make your paths straight. He'll bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats with bursting with wine. There's some of this that we'll talk about regularly in Proverbs is there's this normative direction given. And we talked last week about the fact that this book, Proverbs of the wisdom literature, gives us some of this normative stuff. You know, if if you work hard, then, then you'll produce fruit, right? But it's not saying, and we'll see it in this passage in a second, but it's not saying this is every time the case, that it's, this is prescriptive all the time. And we see that in both Ecclesiastes, where the writer of that wisdom book says, it's all in vain. It, it doesn't make sense. And um, did a whole sermon series on that a couple of years ago. Uh, and then Job, like he's actually good. He does things right, and then terrible calamity comes to him. So there are those perplexities. There are those exceptions. But still, these general truths are the case. And yet, even in the midst of this, there is verse 11 and 12, this need for discipleship. There's a recognition. It's not just as simple as I do the odd verse, the even verse applies. There's a recognition that we're not going to always walk through it well. So there is a need for discipline. It's recognizing the brokenness of this world and of ourselves, of all that is around us. And so in the midst of that, actually, uh, this promise of discipline is a love to us. It's restoration to us. I mean, do, do, do you know, could you, can you think of uh, any kids 
or even adults that as kids were, were never told no, never had any boundaries, kind of don't want to be around them. I mean, entitlement is the word that ends up applying to, uh, to kids and adults that don't have any boundaries. And, and we know all that comes to mind when we think about entitlement. It's not a positive thing, right? We, we need to be shaped and directed. And, and we, we think often, well, now I'm this age or I perceive myself as this mature. And so I don't need any of that. The reality is we all need direction and correction, discipline all through our lives. And there's this recognition of that here that it doesn't always go super smoothly like we, we think it will. That life is messy. The Bible is full of recognition of life is messy. It's not saying follow Jesus and everything's going to be great and easy. It, it's saying, though, that God loves us in the midst of it. And discipline is this beautiful picture of that. And, and we don't have time, and I'm not sure that I personally have the wisdom or knowledge to even fully understand what is, how to talk about what is discipline always looks like. You know, it's not, sometimes we think, okay, so this hard thing happened, it's because I did this. There's some of that in Job. Some of his advisors, some of his friends said, oh, you need to repent because you did all these things. That's why all these bad things are happening. So we, we know from the book of Job, that's not always the case. And yet there's sometimes when, when God does withhold his grace and deliverance from us in ways that we don't fully understand. The point is that God loves us and he is good all the time. And everything, the, the, the highs and the lows, that he cares and he is engaged. And that it's often over a longer period of time than we wish it were. It's often over a much longer period of time than we You know, we, we find uh, the people of God wandering in the desert for 40 years. And, and you know, we don't want to wait more than a day for our packages to be delivered, right? We don't have that kind of patience. Um, they're just, the, the scripture is full of years, decades, even centuries of waiting. And some of that is true. We remember this takes place, this book of Proverbs, in the course of redemptive history. God working and his people. This is one big story that all fits together, and it is moving toward centuries after this was written, about a millennia after Solomon wrote his words of wisdom, Jesus comes into the picture, God loving over the long haul in the midst of the good and the bad. And the people of God had all kinds of ups and downs and struggles in those times. We have all kinds of ups and downs in the struggles of our waiting, moving toward wisdom, moving toward the hope of God's promises for us. And ultimately, when he comes and he enters into the mess, to the mess that we're a part of, both causing and experiencing, he ultimately takes the greatest discipline upon himself. Years after this was written, years before we now uh, live here, Jesus was at work in this world, delivering from the ultimate discipline and allowing us to have relationship with the God who loves us so that we would be able to be in relationship with this guy who says, I'm the Lord your God. I want relationship with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. That is the work that he has done over time, and he's calling us to then steadily walk with him along the way. With patience, just in the ordinary, in the ups and the downs, and he's telling us, I delight in you. I want what is good for you. Come, be a part of my people. Be in relationship with me. 
I am providing for you. You're going to mess up. You're going to need my love to come to you in the midst of uh, your mistakes, in the midst of the mess that you're experiencing, both from your own causes and the cause of others. And I'm going to be there with you and for you because I delight in you. I love you in all of your particularity. 